Strap one on, it's time to jam. Sam, we're a professional operation here, I would say, right? Absolutely. The most professional. We would never watch a movie and then wait like six weeks before talking about it, right? Absolutely not. There's no precedent for that in this podcast. Never never once have we done that. Uh, I'm going to see, when did we watch (laughs) Motherless Brooklyn? When do you think we watched it, if you had to guess? Oh, what's the date today? I'm going to say that we watched it. August 10th. Uh, August 17th. So actually, only like three weeks ago, four weeks tomorrow. Okay, never mind. It feels longer. It does. That's not anything against the movie itself. It's just life. Yeah, exactly. Life. How do I get Facebook to shut the fuck up? Does anyone listening know? Because I have closed the app and it is still constantly feeding me notifications. Is it doing that bubble thing? Yeah, at the bottom right. How do I stop that? Uh, Turn off Facebook notifications. Oh no, what have I done? What have you done? Uh, I was engaging Zoom help. All of this is staying in the episode, by the way. Of course. People people listening might actually want to know, how do I turn off the notifications? Notifications. No. And then I just have to remember to turn these back on, I guess. Okay. You could right, just let's... learn to focus. That would be another option. I'm in a chat where they never, sh- and this isn't even a friend group. I got invited to like a, a movie chat group, which seems really awesome. And it's a bunch of like-minded people, but they chatty. So it's like constant right now. Cause I assume everyone's on their lunch and they're checking in to go, what's going on with Blu-rays. And they have a lot to say. <laughs> I probably have a lot to say about what they're talking about. But I need to focus because we're here to talk about Motherless Brooklyn. 2019's Motherless Brooklyn. Based on the book Motherless Brooklyn? Yes. That you did not read, but you read something else by the same author? And I hated it. What was the other book? Oh. I don't remember. Hang on. (laughs) Welcome. Welcome to... (laughs) looking shit up the podcast and get ready because i also just remembered that at the end of our conversation about this movie we need to pull up a conversation in our facebook messenger when we chose the next movie and read it like a play oh man that's gonna be a while ago yeah but you can just search for it i assume maybe i'll get that ready while you're doing whatever it is you're doing yeah because i can't remember the title i thought it was as she climbed across the table but no I haven't read that one. That one was on my shelves, and I think I got rid of it because I hated the other one so much. 
you don't don't love me yet that was the other one okay so you don't own this book i do for some reason that one made the cut i think because it had better general talk around it the general consensus is that you don't love me yet is a terrible book so okay it made me feel a little bit better it's not one of those things where like most people loved it and i just it wasn't for me no it was a bad book Mm. well motherless brooklyn is i can't well i can't attest but it is apparently good enough that it's a passion project of mr ed norton who stars in this movie and directed this movie and co-wrote this movie and apparently had been trying to get this movie made since the 90s a very long time Yeah, after making American History X in 1998, he got the rights to adapt this book. And in 1999, it was announced he would star and produce it. Then in 2012, he finished the script. And then it still took a while. Yeah, so that's how you know someone feels strongly about this. When for 20 plus years, they kept saying, no, I got to do it. I got to do Motherless Brooklyn. I got to do it. It's really weird to me, though, that this is what he chose as a passion project. And then apparently he changed like a whole lot. Like. Yeah. Yeah. He does talk a bit on the uh, commentary, which I did listen to. It's pretty dry. Like, it's just Edward Norton. But there's some good tidbits in there. And apparently Bruce Willis was one of the big reasons that this film eventually did get financed because Bruce said, oh, yeah, of course I'll do it. And so then. At that time, it was still, oh, shit, Bruce Willis. Okay, there's a name. And then other people started to sign in. and Because it's it's actually a really big cast. Like, you got, yeah. obviously, Ed Norton in the lead. Bruce Willis is in it, sort of. Uh, Alec Baldwin, Willem Dafoe. Leslie Mann's in it for a little bit. Fisher Stevens is in it. <laughs> Rejacked Ethan Suplee is in it. Probably one of the last movies he did before he gets completely jacked up. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a big cast. Everyone is pretty clearly into what they're doing. So, yeah. And I'm not that surprised to hear that this one was a tough one to get financed because I don't think there's a lot of mainstream appeal to like a 1950s era noir detective movie that's two and a half hours long yeah and i i I feel like around this time too like ed norton has a bit of a reputation right like yeah it's no big secret that edward norton is pretty difficult tends to take control of a set and go oh i don't like this and i'm gonna rewrite this and guess what i'm the director now and i'm gonna like that's that's why he ain't the hulk no more so yeah it's not all these marvel movies and only i think like two cast members at least that i can think of i'm sure there are more oh no there are more okay never mind i was thinking it was just him and terrence howard who had been straight up told no more of that but there are others. I don't know the various reasons why, but I don't think it's any big secret that Edward Norton is mostly out because, oh, yeah, we don't want to deal with that anymore. Uh, Ruffalo seems like a laid back guy. Ed Norton in like the kind of ensemble cast that the Marvel movies have would be a fucking nightmare. 
Yeah, and it's just really weird to picture Ed Norton having like still being in those movies. Mark Ruffalo's appeared in seven or eight projects. I He's feel the like Superior Hulk of the three that I've got off the top of my head. Ed Norton at this point would be so fucking checked out by what oh. am I doing? A TV series about She-Hulk? I don't okay. Okay, but I'm reading the piece of paper on camera. Here, obviously, he's going for it. It's this is a better fit than Marvel, yes. Yeah, and it's a tricky one because his character has Tourette syndrome. And apparently the film, I don't remember the organization, but he did the research, he talked to people, and it actually is endorsed by you know the Tourette's Association and Tourette's Association of America. There we go. Looked it up. And I don't I actually, you know, I don't have a lot of familiarity with Tourette's. I don't know anyone with Tourette's, but it's it seems like he did the work for sure. Yeah, it's a little jarring at the beginning. And then I think as it goes on and it kind of like when the movie first opened with him kind of having his his tics, I was like, oh, no, this could be a very long watch. Yeah, he does it well. And it felt respectful. And, you know, for the most part, people aren't shitty to him about it, which is also kind of nice. That is true. Yeah, he, he they kind of pointed out a couple times. He explains it away. Well, I'm trying to remember what was this whole thing? Like things said the rhyme, I know, was one thing like he would someone would say something. He had to he would sometimes have to come up with a way to make it rhyme. Yeah, he like would repeat things. And I think that there was like certain things that were, you know, like kind of obsessive tendencies where he had to do things a certain number of times. And yeah, it it gets done a lot, but I also can't remember exactly how because it's been like four weeks <laughs> yeah <laughs> i know though that that like it's a big part of his character like it's huge it is and, and yeah but it also it's nice because it isn't the defining part of his character this isn't a movie about his tourettes and overcoming his tourettes or his Tourette. he just has tourettes exactly yeah he he's a private eye he's got like you know they make it out that it's you know, part of his condition is that he's also got essentially like a photographic memory and remembers things like word for word. And that's impressive. And there's a lot of focus on, you know, other characters telling him not to let his Tourette's kind of be his limiting factor because he has a lot of other really important skills. And I think that was really nice with Bruce's character in particular. So, yeah. Yeah. So Bruce is not in the movie very much. He's definitely... What's this word mean when I make my this hand motion? Like, a, like the catalyst for the he's plot? He's the catalyst, yeah. Or the, we'll go with the that. Key. Yeah. Uh, he's kind of his Edward Norton's mentor who picked him up off the streets and molded him into what he is. So, And this is a big deal because it's Bruce's... I think we even looked it up, his last theatrical appearance mm -hmm. beyond Death Wish where he's the star. This one, he's in it for... Maybe more than I expected. Like mild spoilers. Things don't work out great for his character pretty early on. But there was definitely a moment 
Oh no, I'm thinking of the other movie we're about to discuss. But yeah. he is he does <laughs> no, because he does get shot and we're like, well, I guess that's it. But he does have a couple more scenes after that. And most of the movie is about what was he into, why did he get shot? And then it starts to get into your usual twists and turns. There's not really that big, oh fuck moment. This the story is pretty consistent. Like who's good, who's bad. There's Alec Baldwin as a shady city commissioner dude. Yeah, he's Moses Randolph is his name. I was like, he's got a pretty good. Yeah, it goes by Mo good... Randolph. Yeah, Mo Randolph, which is oh, such a perfect. So yeah, he's a you know there's shady real estate shit going on as there often is in plots like this. And Willem Dafoe is there, mad at Mo, and I don't. It's a hard one to say because it's a pretty dense two and a half hours. It's definitely one where we were pretty quiet talking to each other because you have to pay attention. And there was definitely points where we were both. I'm not completely clear (laughs) on what's going on. I know he's bad, but one of those movies where a character will give a speech and go, so that person, their daughter is the daughter of this person. And that person was making deals with this person who owed money to this. And you're like, oh, my God, like, I don't offhand remember. I can't put names to all of these faces. So I have a like a, a big part of the plot hinges on. Like family, fam, familial, familial, fam, family relationships, like <laughs> familial this person good. is this person. Like related to this person and this person's this person's brother and this person's this person's daughter. And it's definitely it's the kind of thing where I wouldn't be surprised if the book had a chart, like a flow chart of how everyone is connected. Well, and I think that that was something we talked about, too, right? Is that like there's this character who's central to the plot, like she is the whole like she becomes really like the central piece of the whole mystery. And I think when we were looking it up after this character was created for the movie so i well i thought he said that on the commentary but then you were saying how would that even work she's so central to the story that the book must be completely different and maybe i just misunderstood what he was saying but i'll read the book eventually we'll we'll do a we'll do like a five minute yeah comparison at some point when i I mean we haven't done that that since out of death the novel (laughs) the novelization of out of death I should be looking up every single movie that comes out, that came out just in case they also got a weird whatever the hell <laughs> that was. novelization whatever the I'm fuck. still waiting to sell that thing for $10,000 because it's the only one in, <laughs> in existence I'm guessing. Go listen to the Out of Death episode if you haven't yet, but yeah, that is a weird 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 thing. I guess they couldn't do it here cuz the book already exists, but the novelization of the movie based on the book yeah so if you're gonna i'm a big fan of detective stuff i just like watching you know the case the case unfold and i'm a big fan of that classic like this era of stuff the noir era of detective stuff like when la noir came out and it was 2009 2010 at that point, that was a dream game for me, basically, because I will play any detective shit you put out there. I played all the CSI games. I played the CSI Miami game and CIS. And like that, anything that you put out there where I have to solve a mystery, I'll fucking play your game. 
So when Ellie Noir came out and it was like, yeah, it's like the studio behind Grand Theft Auto and they spend a lot of fucking money making an open world detective game. That to me was a dream. So I typically eat this kind of shit up. So it's not a huge surprise that I enjoyed this movie. It gets it gets that stuff right. Like it feels of that time. Yeah. See, I'm usually not a huge noir fan. Like I like a detective story. I don't normally like like the kind of like gumshoe noir PI stuff. It's not super my jam, but I actually really like this one more than I expected given that, you know, it's got a reputation for being a little bit dry and long. Um, so I wasn't necessarily expecting great things going in, but I like this one a lot. Yeah, it never really felt its length. There's it's, there's never a stretch where it feels unnecessary. The clo- uh, like the relationship between Ed Norton and I feel awful that I can't remember her character's name. I don't suppose you do. I don't, but let me see if I have it close at hand. Laura. Yeah. Okay, there actually is a section on Wikipedia with the differences between the movie and the book. So Already interesting, the novel takes place in the 90s. Present, yeah. Okay, so Norton. That's what I'm saying. Like, it's a weird choice for a passion project when you're then going to go in and basically change, like, some pretty critical pieces. But, yeah, I knew that going in, that the book itself is, like, a modern modern at the time that it was written setting. Okay, so Laura is made for the movie but replacing a different character okay so maybe to give more and, like a love like, story angle yeah well it says in the book it's his love interest so oh, interesting i don't know but i yeah that's the closest that maybe comes to is like oh do i necessarily need to see the love story between these two but they're very good like their chemistry is good they're obviously both very good at acting i actually Laura said is- at one point i think that i really actually enjoyed the relationship it didn't feel like shoehorned in and it i don't know it felt very sweet given how kind of a little bit grim and gritty the rest of the plot is yeah the in classic gumshoe style there's some pretty dark shit going on and i don't really want to spoil story stuff because that's the reason that you would watch a movie like this and i think this movie is worth your time yes it clocks in at is it like two hours 40 is it 160 minutes or 150? No, 145. So 145 minutes. Just shy two and a half. Which we talked about in the last episode as an all like a big hurdle. Like, oh Jesus, we're gonna have to really strap in. Maybe you have to do this over the course of two nights. But it became pretty clear about an hour in that no, nah, I think we're gonna ride this out because I want to yeah. see what's gonna happen. It's loaded with good performances. Obviously, Defoe. Whenever Defoe shows up, he's gonna bring the heat. Alec Baldwin plays a good piece of shit as Alec Baldwin often does in movies. He has a big villain speech that's a little on the nose, but just kind of sits there and goes, here's a bunch of bad stuff. I think, okay, well. Uh, thank, you. thank you for kind of explaining to me what's going on, but I don't know that in the actual fiction of the universe you would sit down and go, hey, Edward Norton, let me tell you about everything I'm up to. In a towel. Like, in a towel. That, was a, that was a big speech to be given with like your balls like halfway to the wind. That's when I like to have most of my big reveals nuts flapping. <laughs> I mean, I think too, you know, we've talked about it with some of the direct to video stuff that 
the po- the plots get just like so convoluted and impossible to follow. Like I'm thinking of shit like Marauders, where it's like there's so much happening, and I don't know what any of it is. And like I didn't care by the end of those movies, but with this one, I did care. Like I wanted to figure it out, and I think the movie does do a pretty good job towards the end of like actually, you know kind of exposing where all the kind of knots are untangled and all of that kind of stuff that can be a challenge to pull off. But I think it does it well without, you know, for the most part, feeling too like Scooby-Doo, ah, I would have gotten away with it and here's how. That's not the Scooby-Doo line, but you know what I mean. Yeah, it's very close. It was close enough. There were no meddling kids in this one, so. No, and I agree. Yeah, Marauder's... It's so overstuffed. There's so many characters, whereas this, there's a decent amount, but they're all there for a reason. Things connect, yeah. like, that you start to figure out as the movie goes on. That's why you're important. That's your connection to this. That's why you're here. Whereas Marauders, Marauders just felt like, here's 17 different stories, and I don't care about 14 of them. <laughs> And it's the thing with the characters, too, right? Like, I mean, the characters here are well-written. They're extremely well-acted. Like, I don't think you can pick out a single performance and say, this one is bad. So I think when you have characters that you actually give a shit about, like, you want to put the effort into, like, figuring out how their plot piece slots in. Whereas with Marauders, like, I did not give a single shit. Like, there's that whole showdown at the end. And I'm like, I, I could not care less if I tried. Yeah. Whereas with this, I cared. <laughs> Yeah, the runtime is used to flesh out the characters we have, not just juggle a whole bunch of them. Like yeah. The runtime is not necessarily a... Rec- How do I want to phrase this? It's not a necessity because, look, there's just so many stories. It's a, ne- it's a necessity because, look, the story that we have to tell needs some time. It needs all of these pieces, and it's going to take some time to put those pieces together in a way that feels satisfying. And I think Norton takes the time to do it well. So yeah, it worked it's for sh- me. It's a shame. This movie seems dismissed and kind of forgotten. It reviewed fine. I think it has 60 something percent on Rotten Tomatoes letterboxed three point something average, like low threes. I'm pretty sure it did not, as we'll get into in a moment, did not by any means light the box office on fire, but as sad as it is to point at this and say this is Bruce Willis's last theatrical appearance, at least it's a solid, it's a solid outing or a solid yeah. conclusion to that chapter. Yeah, he was really good in it. The movie itself was good. Everyone's good. It's good. Yeah, it deserves a little bit more attention than I think it's it's receiving. Yeah, I think people are unnecessarily harsh on it. Like, there's a lot of one and two star reviews on Letterbox, and I think honestly they're kind of unfounded like i mean i get that things are subjective but a lot of the reviews are really like ripping the movie itself apart for being like technically bad and i i don't see where you can come at this from that perspective because again everyone does a great job it looks great like from a technical standpoint like objectively i don't think there's really much you can pick apart with this so it captures the era well and reading that it's not meant to originally have taken place in that era. It's pretty cool to almost put that challenge upon yourself to say, no, I, this is the kind of stuff. This is the tribute that I want to do. I want to soak in the atmosphere of the gumshoe stuff. So we got to make it look like the fifties. Yeah. I think they pulled it off. I, I think this is worth, I think this is worth checking out. It's not going to be, I 
acknowledge it's not going to be for everybody. It's, you know, there's not a car chase in the middle of the movie to go, oh, here's some action. Nope. This is dialogue, character, story. It's pure drama and intrigue and character-driven mystery. Like, it's yeah, it's definitely not going to be for everyone, but I think just the fact that we're talking about it this way without spoiling anything, spoiling, not spoiling, without spoiling anything when we normally go, like, pretty in-depth, like, even on the the theatrical stuff, I think it says a lot that we're both pretty committed to, like, just go and experience it for yourself. Yeah, and I think, too, because stuff like, I guess we haven't done The Sixth Sense yet, but obviously we're going to spoil The Sixth Sense when we finally get to it. And something like, I haven't I think, seen it, because everyone spoils Shyamalan movies. Yeah, I think 12 Monkeys is one we went pretty deep on, and a couple and a couple others, like Die Hard. I don't think we were like, oh, no spoilers. But it's because, you know, a lot of people have, have seen those movies, whereas this one, I just I don't know. I feel weird spoiling it while also saying, I think it's worth your time because this is underlooked and nobody has seen this movie. Here's everything that happens. Yeah. No, exactly. It's it's worth people taking the two and a half hours, I'd say. I think it was on Prime. If memory serves. I don't remember, but well, regardless, this opened... even if it's even if it's a rental, it's worth your five bucks. So Yeah. This opened November first, twenty nineteen. Uh, it opened against Terminator Dark Fate, which is a bold decision actually kind of to make for Motherless Brooklyn, because that seems like two very similar audiences, but also Terminator Dark Fate didn't do well either. So who knows? Um, the only other new releases that week was a direct. Wait, I was going to say direct to DVD, but it's playing in a theater because I'm looking at these numbers. An animated movie I'm not familiar with called Arctic Dogs. With Jeremy Renner and a, and a movie called Harriet. Uh, Terminator opened in first. Joker, which had already been out for five weeks, had made $300 million, is still in second. Followed by, in third place, the Maleficent sequel that I'm realizing in this moment I never watched. Then Harriet, then that... Wait, is this the... Yeah, then the awful live-action... Uh, sorry, live awful animated Adam's family movie countdown. Oh, that's that shitty. Here's when you're going to die app movie. That movie's oh, yeah. that movie's very unintentionally funny though. You should maybe check that one out. Then in seventh, motherless Brooklyn, which did thankfully outgross Arctic dogs, though not by much motherless Brooklyn with 3.5 million Arctic dogs with 2.9 and then parasite and Jojo rabbit. Closing out the top 10. So this probably won't take long because I imagine Motherless Brooklyn is out of the top 10 the very next week. Yes. (laughs) Down to 14th. Because it had to make way for Midway, Doctor Sleep, Playing with Fire, and Last Christmas. What a weird fucking weekend. (laughs) A World War II movie. A really dark sequel to The Shining, a lighthearted John Cena fireman comedy and a Christmas comedy on November 8th. Those are some uh, choices. Let's click it one more time because I'm guessing I won't find it again. No, it's down to 18th. Had to make room for Ford v. Ferrari and the Charlie's Angels remake. And then Frozen 2 is out. I don't. Motherless Brooklyn hanging in there. In 32nd, 
With another $71,000, it is already only in 86 theaters, and it barely, it just came shy of Jay and Silent Bob Reboot, which only was in five theaters. Next chart, it's in 33rd, so it only went down one. At this point, it is making less money than Gemini Man in its eighth week. And at this point, Arctic Dogs has started outgrossing it. That's sad. And then I'm going to click next chart again. Is it here? Is it here? Is it here? Yes. 44th with another $18,000. Or like I kind of poor Edward Norton. Like you sink 20 years into this project. It comes out. People go, that's fine. And then it makes no money. Makes me kind of sad. Yeah. It just keeps kind of hovering around 40th. Let me see. I'm into almost the end of December now. I think it's officially, I might have to control F, but I think it's gone. Yeah. So it was only in theaters for about five weeks. And as far as I can see, only made about $10 million. Yeah, 9.2. So that's too bad. But at the same time, I'm not that surprised. I think your husband saw it in theaters, didn't he? He did, yeah, and he really liked it. So there you that go. Was during my no theater time, so I did not see it. And then I was going to watch it a while ago. He recommended it when I was looking for like a good period drama kind of thing. Uh, and then I saw that Bruce was in it, and I was like, "Can't watch that because I'm gonna have to watch it again." Yep. So. And here we are. <laughs> now, Sam, we have to do something kind of weird. <laughs> <sighs> yeah. Um, can you please find in your messenger chat when you say 24 and then I say survive the game. So we weren't able to record before we needed to watch the next direct to DVD movie. So what we're now going to do is just act out our Facebook messenger conversation when we did pick it. Okay. I'm there. All right. So you say 24. I do 24. Survive the game. I think it's our first non-fortress-related Chad Michael Murray joint. Kind of pop over to the old Rotten Tomatoes. Okay, 14% from critics. This is so weird to act my own words. <laughs> but 70% from audiences. Oh, shit. Promising. Well, let's wait and see what Letterboxd has to say first, maybe. I'm guessing another Siege-type movie where... Chad Michael Murray needs to, you know, survive some kind of game. Lots of you shoot than I shoot, I suspect. 2.4, which is basically a 7 out of 10 from Letterboxd. Fuck it. I'll go all in and say it's another riff on Most Dangerous Game. Uh, We were both. You were closer. Spoilers. (laughs) Uh, Oh, a 2.4 is crazy. We are in for a treat with this one. Uh, I then send a letterboxed review in Spanish that just says, Es tremendamente terrible. And a half star. With a half star, yeah. We should confirm, though, whether Survive the Game is a sequel to Survive the Night, since it does have the same leads. It is not. Which makes it even better. I sent a review, but essentially the review just sums up my next yeah, message. We don't, yeah, we don't need Several to of that. the reviews mentioned the... CMM Bruce slash Bruce slash survive connection. 97 minutes. Not bad. Like 60 minutes shorter than last week's. 
Yeah, that's reasonable. Then I just talk for a long fucking time. So here we go. <laughs> oh, I forgot this is the one where the cover reuses Bruce's image from Midnight in the Switchgrass. The star average on Amazon is 3.2, but the reviews are nearly all one star. Here's my favorite review. Subject line. I did not order this. <laughs> View. I did not order this, so I better not have been charged for it. The end. This is in quotes. Uh, da, da, da. Bruce Willis puts in a fantastic performance in this awesome movie. Great car chases and action scenes. Period. With memorable cast and the odd laugh for good measure. You will not be disappointed, comma, cannot recommend this one enough. Feels like he may be reviewing the wrong product. Uh, everything I'm finding on Letterboxd is half star, maybe one star. And then in response to the, I did not order this review. Ha, that's amazing. Uh, and then I said I was extra intrigued because of the positive review. Last now stop, IMDb. Confused. 3.1, mostly a lot of what's up with Bruce, Bruce, which of course we now know. So, man, there is not much to cling to in these IMDb reviews. Yeah, Letterboxd 2 is a lot of shitting on Bruce, which made me sad. Well, I'm still excited. Me too. If nothing else, you know Chad Michael Murray will bring it. And then we move on. Yep. So, yeah, next is Survive the Game. I don't know. Should we just go straight into talking about it? Do you want to pause for a second? Uh, well, I mean, me, like, let's, but, end, yeah, well, let's that, officially yeah, yeah. end this yes. episode. I am asking you in this yes, moment. Yes, yes, yes. We can continue. Okay, cool. <laughs> well, then see everybody next time for that one. Keep and keep Enjoying embracing those, those Willis's. Yeah.